This is kind of a zoom thing for sure, but it also is uh, the core idea is to set it up a little bit more like a community. Yeah? And a community thrives and lives on the value of, you know, basically, you know, us having a conversation, right? So why don't we call it Q&A in the end or ask me anything or something like that? Let's see about it. But basically, that's that's the idea. So if you have any comments, anything, uh, you know, throw them in there. Uh, I think we have someone on our side monitoring also throughout the presentation that if there's something super burning, uh, you know, we'll probably, probably be able to uh, take that immediately. The idea is to make this a recurring event uh, around, you know, just say industry best practice in, in, in SaaS. I'll obviously be your host for many, many of those, uh, but the idea is not for all of them. Uh, we'll also be inviting guests and get speakers, maybe out of the community, maybe from somewhere else. So this was uh, this was actually set up as a monthly event uh, because we're very ambitious. We actually decided to make it uh, fortnightly. So other people say bi-weekly, but not twice a week, but you know every other week, uh, you know going forward. So I think we'll uh, after this already have a date for the next one. Okay, so uh, let's uh, maybe jump into the into the meat of of this uh, session here. The topic is go to market execution frameworks, and obviously there's a hey Tony, you know, bunch of frameworks already out there. So you know why why does it not why does it apparently not work, right? And my point here, our point here today is not that uh, all the other frameworks are bad or they're not working or something like this, um, but we feel there's something missing on the execution side of those frameworks. There's a lot of stuff that's very strategic, it's always consultative, it's very much, uh, you know, selling to C-suite, if you will. Um, and there's very little that really goes down to the revenue operator level, right? And that might be a RevOps thing. It might be also uh, in a go-to-market leader thing. So what is a go-to-market framework? Uh, just as an example, uh, obviously the uh, bow tie comes to mind uh, by uh, Winning by Design. Fantastic folks. Um, it's actually one of our most favorite frameworks. We're using it extensively, or at least the logic is extensively in our own product. Um, and obviously, uh, it's not like they came up with that, but they popularized it around uh, 2020, right? And Winning by Design is a um, a sales consultancy or full revenue consultancy, you know, in, in that in that range, right? Another go-to-market framework could be the demand waterfall. Um, some of you might know this is a bit older, from 2002, actually, by Serious Decisions. And Sirius was uh, since acquired by Forrester Research. So both of those are basically analyst houses, right? And then we have, going a little bit further back, uh, then we have the, uh, and here, so we have, we have those fantastic uh, visuals here. Um, uh, going a little bit further back, which is basically uh, budgeting, or a budget is actually also being used many times as a go-to-market uh, framework. And it, you know, that 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 invention of a budget, apparently, so we had to research it. ChatGPT helped us just a little bit, uh, but it actually uh, was invented by Egyptians to build, uh, I guess, pyramids and big buildings and stuff like that. They, have, they literally had quotas per wrap. They didn't call it like that, but that was still the idea there. Um, and, and, and those go-to-market frameworks these days, so, you know, budgeting as a go-to-market framework, you know, by whom is it used? Well, it's used by, let's call them finance folks or bankers, yeah? So those kind of folks. It's still being again. It's very popular as a go-to-market framework. Still, we will get into why why we why we don't like it. Uh, maybe necessarily. 
So what's wrong with all of that stuff? Um, what's wrong is, is that, um, you know, I've mentioned it briefly, consultants, uh, analysts, bankers, um, they're the ones that have invented all of that stuff and popularized it. Um, and you, you, couldn't, you couldn't find a profession that is further from having actual skin in the game of the go-to-market execution at the end of the day, right? Um, and for us, that was a little bit of a weakness here, right? Again, uh, these folks are trying to uh, be strategic and sell to, uh, to C-level, you know, sell their service to C-level and so forth. But really, there's a pretty large gap between the strategic side and then the execution side. And obviously, we could have you know, come up now and be like, hey, you know, it's Growblox, let's have the Growblox model and we're going to, you know, call it something. Um, but it would kind of be going against the soul. Well, do you have skin in my game, Growblox? And and the answer is no, which, which is why we actually didn't come up with our own thing here. What we did instead is we were thinking and looking for, uh, let's just say, professions um, that uh, are operating in a... Uh, environment of uncertainty. Uh, they're operating uh, against, you know, rapid feedback or getting rapid feedback. And um, and they might be facing potentially disastrous consequences um, if some of that feedback or that environment ends of what if they're making wrong decisions at the end of the day, right? So the the, the way we framed it when we, when we, you know, built this out is like, hey, we, you know, we need to look into how uh, professions with real fucking skin in the game uh, are operating and, and doing this, right? And, and, and the three main uh, professions, if you will, that we came up with were, you know, engineering, military, and athletes. So engineering, yeah, cool, that makes sense. You know, things software development and so forth, uh, but also think car manufacturing. So, you know, Toyota creating all of those cars, it's like there's skin in the game if, if an engineer is messing up with that, that that, that shouldn't be happening. Um, and we were even going as far as, you know, space travel, you know, imagine NASA and this mission control and hey, Houston, we have a problem and so forth. We didn't find too much material in that area, but you know, that's, that's basically how we were thinking about it. Uh, I think military, we don't need to talk about, you know, uh, skin in the game in that sense. Um, and athletes, you know, obviously they don't die. Um, but uh, it still is a very you know, binary world of you either win or you lose, right? And what we found looking into all of those different areas is that um, they, they understand that they cannot know everything from the start, you know? And let that sink in for a second. They understand that they don't know everything um, and therefore that you know, limits their planning capacity or their, you know, how far they can look into the future, right? That ability. And since that is true, um, they also know that uh, one requirement to be successful is to learn really quickly, <clears throat> yeah? To uh, you know, run against an obstacle and understand, oh, okay, we need to kind of go around it, we need to do something around it. Um, and, and usually those things pop up uh, because they weren't planned and, uh, you know, because the reason why they weren't planned is because you couldn't know, right? And then the, the last bit that we've seen across, you know, many of those different frameworks that are being used on this level is basically the ability to uh, very quickly, uh, almost immediately take that knowledge and incorporate into your behavior and, and use it to, you know, maneuver your next steps with that. Yeah? So 
uh, what are they using, Tony? All of this is interesting, but tell me. And and, and really what they're doing is uh, using a kind of a loop, right? You have your software engineers using Agile. You know, I think everyone can imagine this, uh, the, this Agile loop that there's, you know, sometimes going through. Toyota, and I'm not sure if they came up with this or if they just implemented, but they have this whole Six Sigma thing and, and, and so forth. Um, they're having a loop that's called plan, do, check, and act. Uh, and I recently heard that they're actually going through that loop, you know, pause. They're going through that loop uh, approximately one million times per year. Yeah, And that gives you a little bit of an understanding of, okay, Tony, but they're not doing one million budget adjustments a year. No, that's that's totally true. And also happens on, on all kinds of different levels. Um, and then on the military side, what we've seen is the OODA loop, is O-O-D-A, Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. Uh, I mentioned that recently in a revenue letter, and we did, you know, we already were playing around with some of that thought. This is a concept um, from the 60s around military, and basically you you observe something your opponent is doing, you you orient, aka you uh, gather information, you know, you gather data, if you will. Uh, based on that input, you decide what to do next, and then you act. Huh? And uh, okay, so uh, software check, engineering check, military check. So what? What about those athletes? And and uh, we obviously, you know, had to uh, take the next piece here, which basically then is, you know, Mr. Tyson. Um, and it's 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 a little bit corny, and we've we've seen it so many times, and that's why it's a little bit. Ah, should we should we show it? And but at the end of the day, right? It it is a little bit still the truth, and that's why it's such a popular quote. And by the way, I'm not. We haven't fact checked that at all. I'm not sure if he's actually said that. I can totally with a with a was it the, the lisp? I can totally see that he's he said that. But basically, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? And and that very much uh, resonated with us, obviously, uh, because that's how. Go-to-market execution usually works, right? You have your you have your budget, and then you have this assumption that conversion rate is gonna go through the roof, and everything is great. And then you wake up the next morning, and and none of it happened. Uh, and and now what? You can basically take your plan, throw it out. Uh, so that's really that's really uh, kind of that scenario. Um, we came to uh, a couple of different obviously perspectives and ideas. Um, and what we then actually also did is. Um, I jumped on the phone with a couple of, uh, you know, revenue operations or go-to-market operations and strategy folks, again, from, you know, VP level and up. So, you know, they are SVP revenue operations out there. Um, so VP level and up and companies that um, are majority of them are basically beyond the 200 million uh, ARR range. Some of them were uh, even across the 1 billion range. Um, and uh, again, you're probably a customer of their product uh, right now and you know all the logos I'm going to show them. But basically was asking them, hey, how do you actually operate? And uh, uh, while not obviously using the same words that we are using and, and coming up with this, uh, very much uh, very much reflecting this approach, right? So this is those were the, the, the inputs and the understandings and the ideas and basically what um, what we, then are putting forward, and again, this is, you know, we're not necessarily making this up. I think we're tweaking the words here and there a little bit, but otherwise you can clearly see, hey, there's the the OODA loop in here, there's the, you know, plan, check, do, whatever loop in here, there's, you know, a couple of those loops. There's probably even the punch in the mouth somewhere in here as well, uh, but basically that's that's the approach that we took, right? And we are calling this the go-to-market execution framework, right? 
So this is obviously a loop. What is maybe surprising is uh, in the middle of it, it says revenue engine. Yeah? And, and why is that surprising? Um, I think, and obviously this is some of our thoughts behind it and discussions around it, um, but basically the, the realization was that, you know, if you have a little bit of that going on that loop, uh, what really is in the middle usually is the budget, right? You basically have uh, a budget that you have created. You're, you, you, this is your plan. You're executing the plan. You're monitoring your plan. You probably react and, you know, write back to the plan very, you know, rarely. Um, but basically kind of the center of the whole thing is usually the budget. Um, and we think, sorry, we think it's stupid. Uh, we don't think that the budget should be in the middle of this. The budget is a, is an outcome of some of this stuff, right? This is not what you should be iterating on. It's, it's the revenue engine that you should be iterating on. And I think the, the, the cool thing, you know, I'll, I'll go, uh, revenue engine first, just to kind of give a little bit of an agenda around this. Revenue engine first, then I'll dive into plan, execute, monitor, react in this order. Um, and diving into revenue engine, why why, why should that actually be there? And what are potentially the, the side effects coming out of it? Yeah? So number one, and you know, this is maybe a bit fluffy and maybe someone is going to shoot me a difficult question, um, you know, on, on this specific piece here. Um, but basically... There, if you are thinking about the revenue engine as such, uh, first of all, you obviously need to you know totally understand that, and and there are a couple of other things that come with it. But basically, um, if you throw out the budget, what happens um, mentally, so to speak, is that you're basically saying goodbye to this January to December timeline approach. Yeah, and when you think about it, especially from a revenue perspective and from a building your revenue engine. That kind of frame never really made much sense, right? Why? Why is Christmas? Why is Christmas so important to all of us? Uh, and, and you know, in this case, obviously the year end. Well, it is important to us because uh, those budgets are set on an annual level uh, because the board needs to meet and uh, approve that budget. Uh, and usually, it's then also the baseline for your annual report that needs to be put together, right? So that's why there's a there's an annual frame around everything we do on the financial side. Yeah? The other thing is. Um, basically financial results become increasingly secondary when you focus on the revenue engine itself. And I would say it feels a bit strange at first, uh, but the way we basically kind of wrapped our heads around this um, was, well, wait a minute. Um, if you replace the revenue engine with your product, with your software product, um, it's, it's not like uh, that feels awkward, right? Obviously, you have your product, you iterate around it and so forth, uh, and there's not specifically a financial aspect tied to it. And, and it actually also shouldn't be. It's probably the wrong way to try and build a product. And we feel the same way about building your revenue engine. Well, is there a financial outcome and does it cost something and so forth? It does, but it's still not helpful in this approach in this framework. Yeah? And the reason why... Uh, thinking about um, the revenue engine uh, rather like that instead of you know financial outcomes um, is really that um, the engine itself you know as it is running um, the, the 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 turn of mentality is almost like well all of those different pieces have their own little time frame right you can hire people with a delay right you have prospects that go through your funnel with a delay over the you know sales cycle if you will. 
You have customers that renew and churn and so forth with a delay. So really tying uh, all of that uh, back to financial outcomes is, is, an, is an afterwards effect. It's not an input necessarily, right? So really kind of piecing all of these things together in the timeline, uh, in, in the right uh, frame of mind. And, um, you know, if you will, if you're freed from those, uh, from those timelines and those uh, financial results, the focus now can basically shift to a very honest conversation in the management team and your go-to-market team and your revenue operations team. How can we operate? And much more importantly, how can we improve the revenue engine in the best way possible, right? Which is basically what we're going to jump into next. Plan. <clears throat> Sorry, plan. Let me know. Let me have a zip here. Mm. So plan sounds like a budget. Um, and and I don't actually disagree. I think, uh, you know, again, right, The um, by proposing this GTM execution framework, I'm not taking away from some of the other frameworks that exist. Again, I think the bow tie is awesome. I think the demand for waterfall is awesome. I think budgets are pretty important, and they're sometimes just a bit clunky using for your go-to-market execution. Um, and, you know, when you have a plan, um, uh, and you know, have have a budget around. You should obviously try and flip it into a go-to-market plan. Yeah, and so how does it work? It's basically a marriage of your budget, um, the bow tie, and the the demand waterfall. If you take all of those concepts together, you know, put them together, what you're going to get out of it is a go-to-market plan. And a go-to-market plan is really a um, you know understanding of what funnel metrics do we want to hit on a monthly, weekly, or even daily level across all of these different dimensions that we're operating on, right? And, and those dimensions might be uh, your funnel itself. So it might be a traffic to lead to uh, MQL to SQL to meeting to close one, whatever. Um, but it also might be stretching across, you know, the different regions you're operating in, uh, the different segments you're operating and so forth, right? So very much, you know, a couple of more numbers in a go-to-market plan uh, compared to a budget, right? So I think what's really important, though, is um, that a plan doesn't always need to be for the year. A plan um, in, in this context can also be shorter, can be smaller, can just be, you know, planning can also happen around a part of the plan or of, of your revenue engine. So think about it, um, you know, planning out uh, how the SDR team is going to perform and what you need to do and all of that. That is also a planning exercise. Um, thinking about new campaigns uh, or concept and marketing, that's also a planning exercise. Or things like, hey, you have a new feature that you're going to release uh, to your existing customers, but also to the newbies funnel. You know, how is how's that going to change things? Planning some of these things out. Um, and, and the funny thing is that most of those important details, um, they're kind of are not deemed important enough for most of those frameworks, right? It's really always about you know, the big annual plan and, uh, and the budget that you need to achieve. And, and iterations on the budget, you know, it's almost a stigma. It's almost a no-no. If the CFO needs to do a reforecast, it's almost seen as a negative. <clears throat> and we, we see iterating, so looking at the plan, you know, it's, it's, it's probably more of a quarterly exercise uh, uh, aside from the, uh, the annual approach that you're, that you're doing. So moving on from plan to execute. So that's pretty straightforward. Um, this is really about going out and doing stuff. We're not going to spend too much time on this here specifically, but in, in large degrees, this means, you know, executing the things that you planned you, you, you would be doing, right? Um, 
And, you know, you can even flip it around and be like, well, you know, the, the execution time frame, that's really where you, um, where you receive new data. This is where new stuff is coming through the door that you then can use and, and understand and, and, and learn from uh, in reality. Moving on from execute to something that is potentially more interesting, which is monitor. Yeah? So we're now, if you're kind of uh, visualizing the circle in your mind, we're, you know, the, the top is plan, on the right-hand side is um, execute, and then the bottom now you have monitor, right? So if you have a budget, um, monitoring against that um, is pretty difficult. You really can only do it once a month, more or less. And, and the questions you will be able to answer is, um, well, did we pay all the salaries that we thought we would be paying? And did we bring on the customers that we thought we would? The answer to that usually is very binary. It's either yes or no. Um, and it is very difficult to um, to help you figure out why you achieved or not achieved something. Right? If you have a go-to-market plan, all of that changes a little bit. Uh, things get a little bit more um, interesting and detailed. Uh, you will be able to execute something that we call a root cause analysis. So, hey, we didn't bring in enough customers. Why is that? Well, we saw actually opportunity generation uh, was off last month. And why is that? Well, because of something else and so forth. We, and this might be a thing that people might disagree with, uh, but we recommend that the time frame for your monitoring should be on a weekly level. Yeah? So why weekly? Uh, actually, last time I talked about this, got a, a question from the audience like, hey, Tony, weekly, isn't it a bit you know, insane? Um, and... The funny thing is that, you know, up until then, I didn't even, you know, think about it all that much because um, I'm not sure, you know, some people that might be listening and worked with me, I look at those numbers daily and sometimes multiple times a day. So I'm pretty obsessed about some of that stuff and maybe I'm just uh, weird and, uh, and special in that sense. Uh, but when we had an operation that was spending APAC, EMEA, US, I mean... <laughs> If, you know, there was there was just a lot of stuff that I wanted to see. And and what did I look at? I didn't look at conversion rates and ACVs or sales cycles and stuff like that because obviously that is moving slower. It's not that interesting, uh, at least not on the daily or weekly level. Uh, what I looked at a lot is are we hitting all of those volume metrics? Are we on track? Are we some you know are we falling off somewhere? Um, and if we, uh, if we are maybe on track or not on a volume metric, so volume metric is, uh, by the way, lead and SQL, and, and how many of those do you have? How many opportunities do you have? Um, but also what was really interesting for me was like, okay, let's you know peel the onion back one level and say like, okay, so maybe we hit opportunity as a whole, but did we hit in you know, all of those different regions? Did we hit on all of the different segments or channels and so forth? And... I mean, I, I used to get lost in those numbers and it was pretty interesting. But basically, you know, this is this is something that we would encourage to look at on a go-to-market team level and to on an individual team level on a weekly level. Um, daily is probably a little bit too noisy, but weekly for sure. And the reason why if you do it weekly uh, is, an, is an obvious advantage to doing it monthly is, you know, you only have 12 months, but you have 52 weeks. <laughs> so that's, Wow. What, what an insight, Tony. But at the end of the day, it basically kind of enables you to have those conversations, uh, first of all, uh, more proactively when they happen, right? You don't wait another two weeks or three weeks until you have the conversation about last week. Um, but it also gives you an, uh, the ability to go through this loop that we're talking about on a much higher frequency and course correct much faster. And then the last bit, React, um, which probably is what is being... Um, missed in a budgetary and locked in go-to-market planning world a lot. The funny thing is, 
if I'm honest, it's like um, if you're a revenue operator, um, you're going to react 24-7 all the time. There's stuff coming up. You're not going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, let's put this on uh, on next year's budget and uh, and then we know, you know, now we have that new knowledge. No, you're going to try and execute it as, as fast as you can. Um, the the obvious um, lag or drag, I'm sure, uh, on, on, on that change is, is organizational inertia in that sense, right? You can't just go out and implement change all the time for everything. So you need to kind of temper yourself a little bit. Um, but but usually, you know, as a revenue operator, as you execute, you know, <laughs> down there in the mud, you're not just going to wait uh, until you until you implement your, your learnings. What we have seen, though, what happens a lot is that um, people forget um, to, let's just say, write back those changes to the plan. Yeah? And the reason why this is a problem is that the next time you go through this loop, meaning you know the next time you basically kind of hit uh, on monitoring, so to speak, is that suddenly your signals might be off, right? Let's just imagine you have a traffic light system and you have something around your outbound motion, you have something around your inbound motion. Um, something happens, I don't know, um, some, you know, summer party, the SDR manager gets fired because, you know, he or she did something inappropriate. Happens all the time, by the way. Um, and uh, basically you need to realize, okay, uh, we need to change things now. We can't keep putting more people into that team because there's no leader for that yet, right? So what you're going to end up doing is you're going to take some of the budget uh, either headcount-wise or just financially and put it somewhere else. Let's just say into marketing. So that's a, uh, you know, you had a plan, you executed, something happened, you reacted, great, you did everything perfectly. The thing is now, though, um, that uh, the plan now needs to know that uh, you expect more from inbound than you previously did and you expect less from outbound than you previously did. If you don't write that back, if you don't have that feedback loop back into the plan, what's going to happen is that uh, your outbound traffic light is going to be red all the time for the rest of the year. And everyone in the team will have this cognitive overload of like, ah, okay, I know I need to kind of keep in mind, you know, Jimmy did this in the summer party and that's why it's red now. Um, and oh, marketing is actually not overperforming. Actually, they're under, but it's green, but we all know it's under, right? And, and that stuff is is basically kind of introducing more friction into your management, into the discussion and so forth, right? So really kind of the the reaction is good, but that reaction needs to find its well uh, back into the plan itself, right? And we actually uh, recommend to kind of go through this exercise monthly. Um, and uh, here would be two things that are probably useful. One is a, like an FYI, so for your information only update where... Uh, folks basically say, "Hey, that happened. Uh, that's how we that's how we fix it, or how, that's how we reacted." Not every reaction is a big plan change or something like that. They're much smaller uh, tweaks that sometimes can be executed. Um, but much more importantly, there might be bigger things that either need buy-in from the rest of the team, or that need um, you know alignment and discussion. And is it the right thing? Is it not the right thing? Um, and this is really what what this this meeting should be should be for, right? And folks might be like, okay, Tony, that sounds like an MBR, so a monthly business review. Is that's what you're kind of saying? I think it, I think it is. Uh, the 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 concept is just starting to be flipped on its hat to a degree, right? When you when you imagine a monthly business review currently, it's really um, you know someone usually RevOps you know creates a big deck uh, with all kinds of information in it, and then the GTM leaders come in and get you know entertained. They get informed of what has actually been going on here. 
Um, and then there's a conversation that ensues. Um, this year is really a, a, a different way of going about it. It's really a you know, much more proactive way where um, all of the changes that would otherwise be a communicated MBR are already known to everyone in the room. Everyone knows, hey, these things happened. We saw the traffic light. We reacted. Here's this thing. Um, and really, you have a much different conversation um, uh, happening than this bickering over data and bickering over, no, I don't disagree. You know, that should be different. Um, and basically, that enables teams to be able to react much faster to stuff. Yes. So we're basically kind of coming, I think, to the end of, of that framework uh, as such. So just as a quick, you know, wrap up in the end. So again, that's the that's the framework that I think for go-to-market execution, I think people should um, be really thinking about it. And I think many people have like some pieces of this already, uh, you know, built into their, into their operations. And uh, again, we didn't come up with this. We tweaked some words around, but really we basically are copy-pasting this from professions with real skin in the game compared to, you know, the bankers and the consultants and the and the analysts. Um, and we, we simply believe that this approach is much closer with the reality of, of revenue operators, yeah? So revenue operations by end or go-to-market leaders. Um, and and at the center of this is is how can we improve and execute and, and, and you know, uh, build the revenue engine without having this January to February or, hey, those those financial constraints at the center of that. They will still be there. Don't get me wrong, right? So maybe that got lost. It will still be there. You can't just live in a complete vacuum. Uh, but the focus is on how can we build this engine. And then you execute daily, obviously. You monitor weekly. You react monthly. And then you have a you know a planning session, an adjustment session to be really agile here on, on the quarterly level. I think this is... A wrap for the, I'm not sure how we're doing on time, Bart, in terms of the doing fantastic on time, apparently. <laughs> so people can see it, you know, over there, Bart sits there. Um, so uh, basically kind of the idea was to have a 20-minute presentation monologue from, you know, my side. Um, again, in the future, we'll probably have some other folks, uh, you know, talking as well to not make it so um, monotone. Uh, if you will, but I guess that's the idea of a monologue. Um, but generally speaking, I think now we would actually switch to a Q&A or ask me anything kind of thing. And um, since we're doing this the first time, we don't know if there will be any questions. And uh, so let's let's see how this ends up. So um, I'm just, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm just, you know, waiting for, um, I think it's either Bart or Mikkel is going to uh, probably jump in and give some of those questions in. Yeah, so please, uh, you can raise your hand if you want to ask a question or you can drop it in the chat. Um, we have one question already. It's, um, you talked about things moving with uh, delay in the funnel. Mm -hmm. Right now, our ACVs are down and sales cycles are extending. How do we approach such a problem? Yeah. So I think, so number one, I... Um, I think a lot of people are seeing this. I, I recently saw a benchmark and I put something on, on LinkedIn actually today as well. And, you know, that topic um, showing clear data that across the board, we are seeing sales cycles pushing out. And, you know, that is just one metric out of all the different processing metrics that are currently pushing out. It might be conversion rates, ACV and, you know, what have you. Um, and I think the reaction to that is, um, is... Uh, you know, you need to kind of uh, go about it with a bit of nuance. So I think number one is 
how long is that problem going to exist? You kind of need to ask yourself that question, right? So number one, I, I think just saying like, okay, so this is the new baseline and it's going to be there for forever. I think that, um, I think that wouldn't be the right approach. Um, but you do need to ask yourself, okay, is this another three-month problem? Is this another six to 12-month problem? How long am I going to have that problem, right? Because what's, what's underneath those metric changes is, Sorry, many of your many of your motions um, will basically not be sustainable right now. Just simply, it's not it's not going to work out, right? So you basically need to make a decision. So are we going to adjust something? Um, for example, um, uh, for example, are you going to you know reduce the outbound? You know, outbound is very heavily hit currently. So are you going to take that uh, reduce that team or take it out? And that kind of question is going to be pretty important based on you know, what you think when things will pick up again. If you think things will pick up again in three months from now, making big changes to a people-heavy team like Outbound maybe isn't the right approach. Um, but if you do believe that stuff is going to be difficult for another year, then yeah, maybe you should actually consider, right, kind of taking that team down and then investing and in building it up when, when, when the sun is rising again and when, uh, when, when some of that, that winter here is over. Um, and um, I think it's um, I think it's a um, um, I think that will probably uh, you know be be the direction people need to go right. Uh, I don't think that uh, you can just magically um, you know ask the A's to just work harder. I don't think it's just a training or skill problem of the account executives. I think it's it's much more systemic and um, uh, and, and, and you know less less likely to change in the short term. So I think this will be uh, some of the things that that people will need to think about and basically kind of end up changing stuff in your engine until um, the metrics return and then some of the motions that uh, you know you maybe are doing right now then will become and uh, be you know efficient again, right? I think I think that that will need to be the kind of conversation that needs to be had right now in, in executive teams. And uh, and again on on this one, I think um, revenue operations shouldn't be shy in leading that. Honestly, I think uh, revenue operations has usually the least, um, you know, feelings around hitting the revenue number and so forth. Um, very objective, very uncomfortable, very much um, um, pushing the truth through data into people's faces. And I think now it's uh, now it's a time where that uh, needs to happen increasingly. So <laughs> we're getting a few more questions now. I'm just gonna see if. Uh... Martinez, are you interested in coming on and asking the question live? Oh, it's the the first live question. Wow. Or maybe not. Let's see. So no, no pressure. I'm bringing. Let's see if I can bring Martinez on here. Hey guys. Hey there. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, so I was listening to what you said, and I think like in general revenue operations is kind of good with monitoring things, spotting trends, right? Getting in the face of data. But in terms of execution, like uh, what role would RevOps play there? So as an example, what would RevOps do when turning around the bad win ratio, which sales are trying to fix by changing messaging? Like messaging, it doesn't really sound like something RevOps does, right? No, exactly. I think I th so. 
Okay, so how how can RevOps help on the um, on the execution side? And I think it's 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 limited to degree. Don't get me wrong, right? RevOps could help by picking up the phone themselves. That that would help on the execution side, if you will. But I think the um, uh, you know some teams number one actually have something like product marketing as part of revenue operations. Sometimes then it's being called suddenly go to market operations. Suddenly you know uh, product marketing fits better there, and suddenly this whole messaging topic. Is, is a thing that works out there potentially better. Um, I think on the um, conversion rate side, I think it's difficult, right? You could, you know, you could obviously say like, hey, let's uh, implement Medic or MedPick or, you know, wh- whatever those different uh, concepts are and, you know, try and increase it through that. I think as, as you know, RevOps, I would, you know, sometimes also encourage to look into ACVs as a potential lever to pull, Um so what, what I've used in the past is something that's called a um, a discounting hierarchy. <clears throat> and basically what it means is uh, if, if you don't have that, if you don't have um, discipline around discounting, what it means is your reps will um, you know jump to 20% or something like that in the first step. So someone's like, hey, on a discount, and the rep says, okay, 20% less, right? You, you will likely see this in the data by having a lot of very clean... Uh, percentages as discounts in there, right? That's sometimes a symptom of uh, people not, you know, fighting around that necessarily, right? And if you were to implement a discounting hierarchy, for example, you would basically say, okay, when someone asks you for a discount, that's the first thing you give them. Maybe, hey, if we can make it a two-year deal, maybe we can give you a discount. If they then ask again, it's like, well, maybe I can give you the first two months for free. Obviously, up on renewal, that would go away. Um, and then you go into things like, okay, I can give you a 10% for the first, uh, you know, can t- give you 10% discount or 20% discount into into infinity in that sense. But basically kind of create a little bit of a, uh, the prospect needing to ask several times to get down on on, on the 20% discount level, if you will. And that actually is a, is a bit of a trick, is a bit of a tactic to push up your, your ACVs, right? And this is just, they're kind of a gazillion other, uh, you know, little tweak ideas in place that uh, RevOps can, number one, come up with and number two, execute, right? And just, you know, another thing that um, I heard is not so popular in, in, in Europe, um, uh, but, you know, obviously very popular in the US and uh, and at least in, in the companies I work, we executed this all the time. Um, if your outbound opportunities are low, consider uh, running a SPIF. So SPIF stands for something. It's a sales performance improvement FF, I don't know. Um, it's basically uh, it's basically kind of a competition, right? And you basically say like, hey, um, this week should always be short term. It should never be expected. Ideally, not expected. At some point, people will will figure it out. Um, and it basically could be, hey, every meeting booked, um, uh, every meeting booked gives you another fifty bucks. You know, this week. Is meeting booked the right uh, metric? Should it be meeting held? There's, you know, we can debate that. But those are little things, for example, where you can, okay, the uh, the the volumetric opportunities outbound was low last week. What can we do next week in order to catch up or boost this or not run into the same issue, right? And those are things that, you know, RevOps can totally help coming up with. Implementation will sit with, you know, VP of sales or the directors and so forth. But those are, those are little things. <laughs> so we're bringing in the next question. Uh, from David. David. Finally. Hey, Tony. <laughs> Lo- loving, loving this uh, this radio show. Awesome, great <laughs> concept. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so something that 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 I feel uh, maybe not super directly go to market, but just I, I'd love to hear always more about it is 
you know, everyone's fighting with churn, everyone's fighting with revenue retention. What are some initiatives you've seen in the past, you know, successful ones too, um, around where RevOps kind of correlated mostly with customer success? Mm. You know, what, what are some of the maybe experience or examples you have for that, which, uh, which you would, you know, say, hey, let's do, let's do more of that? Yeah. So this maybe is more on the tactical or strategic level. So number one, I would probably, so, you know, all the, uh, there are not many hacks on the customer side. Let's just be honest about that, right? It's going to be your product. It's going to be your customer experience. And and if that sucks, then for the long term, that's uh, you can fix that. But on the short term, it's really difficult. Um, I think what I would do on the on the CS side is uh, look into segmenting your customer base. Yeah? So you might have, I don't know, 20 CSMs or whatever number, maybe servicing... 20 million of AR, yeah? kind of let's go with that with that uh, approach. And you're basically giving a, a one-size-fits-all uh, to all of your customers. But your customers aren't equal. You might have bigger whales in there, and then you will maybe have a couple of SMBs in there. So segmenting really means is that uh, you might split up your 20 million into three different buckets, you know, potentially by segment. Um, and then you will give resources uh, to the other segments that maybe deserve, because they're paying more, deserve more um, deserve more resources. What you will do with that is, um, if you're doing this in the right way, you're basically able to allocate more resources to help provide a better, uh, better uh, customer experience to some of the segments, which will then ideally lead to those bigger segments, those bigger customer segments, to show a better net retention or gross retention rate. Right. I think on the on the other side, in terms of <clears throat> you know maybe not gross retention but net retention is um, uh, pricing. Uh, that's usually you know something that is maybe forgotten, maybe not, but but not necessarily connected to you know CS and, and net retention. But usually, if you if you run your pricing and packaging in a super simple one size fits all way. People go in in one size and then they will leave, you know, that size eventually. If you do it a bit smarter, so you get them in on a lower threshold, you know, that might mean that even your sales cycles decrease. Uh, but you get them in on a lower threshold and then upsell them later on. Through pricing and packaging, you can actually design that customer journey that will basically help you on your gross and net retention.